Second John 12 and 13. Sometimes you may look at God's Word, look at a text like this and go, are we really about to preach a whole, hear a whole sermon on these sign-off words? I mean, look at this. There's not really not much here. I'll admit, even myself, when working through the different pericopes, the different breakdowns of God's Word and preparing for the series, I even too had to slow down and go, is there an entire sermon here? I'll be honest, I'm hopeful to get this done in an hour. So buckle up and let's go. There's so much good stuff in God's Word. Praise God. Though I have much to write to you, he says, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face. As we look to this first part of verse 12, church, hear the shepherd's heart of John. Come forth in an intimate way as he doesn't want to leave anything unsaid for these people that he dearly loves. He doesn't want to let them down. He doesn't want to miss something. He, he has more to share. He loves his opportunity to care for them, to lead them. He wants them to know what is good for them. A good shepherd is not content with minimum effort. He isn't selfishly going about his days only thinking about himself. He wants to tend well to his flock. This is a true motivation and priority in John's life. And we see it evidenced in words like we find at the conclusion of his second letter. The simple reality is we are sheep in need of good, godly shepherds. More than that, church, we are desperate for the good shepherd, Jesus Christ. Listen to how Jesus speaks of himself as the good shepherd in comparison to the hired hand or the thief in the Gospel of John, chapter 10, 10 through 15. Jesus says, The thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Because we live in a broken world that is full of sin and deception, The reality is we are constantly being tempted to follow the wrong people. All the time. To follow deceivers who who don't love you. To follow thieves. Only looking to use you up and take what you have and then abandon you. We also can easily follow deceivers who present themselves as helpers, even as leaders, and yet they only serve themselves and do not honor the Lord or love us well. Jesus says the hired hand that he speaks of here in John 10 is the one who is selfish and uncommitted. The hired hand leads with the wrong motives. Their purpose is to put in the minimum effort to pull a paycheck. The hired hand will bail when it gets hard. 
They don't have longevity. They're not committed to the sheep. They're committed to making money and going on their way. Sadly, we see this in a lot of modern-day pastors who are, at the end of the day, more, most concerned with growing big churches, organizations, and having a big name for themselves than they are with a heart for growing godly saints. Jesus also mentions the, the thief, the robber, the wolf here in John 10. This is the one who is nothing but a pure lie. They are antichrist. They are deceivers. Their purpose is to use you up. They do not love you. They do not love God. These are worldly people that, if we're honest, we can be guilty of following or maybe even looking up to. People that we see accomplish great things in this life or people who are good and skilled at different aspects of life. They have something to offer that is attractive, that might help us advance in our lives. You who are younger, this temptation may be greatest for you. At these crossroads of, of who you will be in your life, of, of what you are aspiring towards, of what you are hoping your life to look like. The world is constantly trying to sell you something to get you to follow people that don't care about you. They don't care about God. They will use us up. And when they get what they're looking for, they'll fire us, quit on us, or leave us behind. There are a lot of types of people in this life that you as a sheep can follow. People that you can let have great influence over you. In light of the seriousness of the presence of so many deceivers, I ask you this morning to really stop and consider, who are you following in your life? Maybe for you, you've given too much influence to a parent who told you you weren't worth anything. Maybe they didn't use those words, but they showed you that often with their lifestyle. Maybe in the way they treated you. Maybe in the way they prioritized their own life and drinking or drugs or gambling or being a workaholic. Maybe for you it's a friend. A friend who convinced you to make a really lame decision along the way. A decision that cost you a lot. Maybe for you, it's a lover who you thought you were finding good things with. You gave a lot to them. But they used you in the end for your care, for your time, for your body, and then discarded you. Maybe for you, it's a drug or a substance that plagued your life with a lust for it. It took over. Instead of being helpful, truly useful, positive, the, the short-term highs left you with a lifetime of deep consequence. 
Maybe for you, it's forms of media that you've become entranced with. Sounds and images, fun, that have taken hold of your life, consume your thoughts day and night. Sucked you in. It's where you live. If you really looked at your life, you spend more time sucked into that phone, that screen, than anything else. Maybe for you it's a career goal. It's things that you were sold when you were younger to work hard and go make a good living. And you have just completely sold out to have it. Everything else has become second to you. You become trapped with the pursuit of cars, awards, bigger paychecks. And the problem is it never seems to last. It always grows cold, tiresome, always needing something else to fill the gap. What have you been pursuing? Who have you been following? Who are you looking up to? No matter what your story is related to these things, there is good news because there is a good shepherd. A different kind of shepherd. And he loves his sheep. He is worth giving all of your life to. If you commit your life to following him, you will know a joy and a wholeness like you've never known in anything else. John 10, 3-4, the sheep hear his voice and he calls out to his own sheep by name and he leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him. And they know his voice. The good news, church, is he knows us. He knows us really well. How well? Well, Sam blessed us Wednesday night. Did he not? The great teaching at midweek. Omniscience of God that, that he knows everything. While it is fascinating, and one major aspect of why we trust him like we do, why we praise him like we do, that he knows all things, if we are honest, and maybe you've been wrestling with this since Wednesday, it can also be troubling. Troubling to our flesh. Because that means that he knows your deepest, darkest Secrets and wicked thoughts, illicit activity. The things that are so foul that you would hardly admit them to yourself to be true. He knows. He knows about it better than you do. He has a clearer view of it than you do. You might say, Pastor, I don't want to be known in those ways. My dark spaces in my closet are too dark. They're too foul. I'm ashamed and embarrassed at what I've become in the secret places of my life. 
And I would just say, if you relate to that thought, hear me clearly this morning. He knows you in those ways. He knows the most wicked and horrific and ugly things that you've done and thought and said. And yet He, the Holy God of all creation, still lays down His life for you. He didn't lose a bet to do that. He wasn't coaxed to do that. He wasn't obligated. He freely chose you. He didn't choose you and then you did something and you're like, oh boy, I'm on the line. I already chose this bonehead. No, he, he knows all things. In the clearest view, he chose you and Jesus died for you. So you could be his forever. He is truly the good shepherd. Amen? I want you to really capture the beauty and the power of the good news here. John 10, 14. Jesus says, I lay down my life for the sheep. That means when the wolf comes, instead of the hired hands, instead of those who are selfish and bail, he becomes like a lamb. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The key word is for. The English word here does not give it justice. The Greek word Jesus uses is in the place of. Jesus lays down his life in the place of his sheep. The shepherd becomes a sheep to, lead, to be led to the slaughter so we don't have to be. Hear this today because you and I are sheep and we will follow a shepherd Someone will lead you. But there's only one worth following. Only one in the end who leads us with selfless love. Only one who can take on the death we deserve so that we can have life with him forever. We need not just any shepherd. We need the good shepherd, Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 2.25 For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. For those in the room today, or maybe listening to the podcast later today, if you're not saved, if Jesus is not your Lord, there is urgent good news, and that is God is still gathering His people, His elect, I pray that you repent and believe and are saved by the grace of God and the finished work of Jesus in your place. This is the most important crossroad of your life. That you would know the Good Shepherd and know Him well. Praise God that Christ is our Shepherd Church. But also praise God for His design for us to have faithful local church shepherds. This is a good design of God. The charge on your local shepherds is big. Here's how big. We are charged to watch over your souls. 
And so when you are tempted to say, hey, back off. This is my life. I want you to remember that verse. I'm charged by God to watch over your soul. Steve, Rob, this is nothing small. And I don't earn, we don't earn some kind of special credit coin to keep you on the line just because. We do it because we love you. We do it because we want to be faithful to God. Hebrews 13, 17, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. One of the best things that you can do in your life is to put yourself under biblically faithful, God-fearing, loving shepherds who are greatly imperfect and will let you down more than once probably often. But if biblically faithful, God-fearing, loving shepherds will fight for you, will invest into you, care for you, truly and continually. Even when that's hard. Hard for you. Right? You've had those moments with your parents where they're disciplined, they're charged, their counsel was really hard. But it was good. It was needed. Sheep, church, brothers, sisters, that's, those are those moments we've got to press through. Not be right in our own eyes. Want to be humble and to hear what we are not understanding and be led well. This is for our good. This is for God's glory. Think of not only what this kind of leadership means for your life, but for the generational impact of your kids and grandkids. In multiple personal, intimate settings this week, I rejoiced with a number of you over this point. Almost with tears in the eyes of grown men, I have heard them say, praise the Lord for God's work in this church and in these shepherds. For I have no idea where I or my family would be without this. And my kids... And I know it's hard, families, and I know there are seasons that are really tough. But look at what God's doing in this time. And if we remain faithful, what He will continue to do. For there is a work happening. And in many of you, that is so far beyond what you knew growing up. Celebrate that. Celebrate the great wins in that. And let's keep building on it. What this shepherd care means for our lives, for our kids, for the generations to come. It is to be valued. It is to be prioritized in our life as sheep who who need good shepherds. John says, Though I have much to write to you, I'd rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face. He loves people. Loves the ministry given to him. He wants them to succeed. He wants to know them and be near them. See the love and the care of a shepherd for his blood-bought family. John is a good and loving shepherd. We see his heart for his sheep in this, in this letter that he's writing. The second letter. And when he says he would rather not use paper and ink to write to them a letter but hopes to come in person and talk face to face. 
This is his way of saying, I deeply love you. I, I miss you. I want to lead you in person. When I read this, my first thought was, thank God he wrote a letter. Right? Why? So that you and I are blessed with it like we are right now. Amen? Right? If it only was private and personal, we wouldn't have it. So that you and I and many generations later can know these wonderful truths that God wants us to know. Surely God was sovereign in this, in this painful time that he's separated from these people he loves and is forced to have to write a letter and, and his fleshly heart might be pretty dismayed in that. Man, the, the, this is so bogus. I just want to be with them. And church, in this, we got to lose sight. God is sovereign in these things. God is sovereign when things are not going our way. The way we hoped it would go. For he is still perfectly at work in these details. For our good and for his glory. Amen? Don't miss that. When, when it's not going to plan, that doesn't mean it's time to pack up and go do something different. It means sometimes right in there, right in that pocket is is right where the best work's about to happen. We need to not miss it. To trust God, to let our faith go to work, to remain faithful. Second, I want to add some insight to the translation of his words face to face. He wants to be with see them face to face. John hoped to be near this beloved and the Greek text literally says mouth to mouth. He wants to be near them mouth to mouth. And that's not to try to get to physical contact or a kiss. It is an expression similar to maybe you've heard the term eyeball to eyeball. Or the way it's in our text, the way we say this is face to face. Hey, let's meet face to face. That's the heart of this. Consider with me the greater meaning of face-to-face conversation and interaction, life together. Better than writing a letter, better than a phone call or something else, it's important many times that we are face-to-face. Numbers chapter 12, 5 through 8. Listen to this. The Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent, called Aaron and Miriam, and said, Both And they both came forward. And he said, Hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth, clearly, and not in riddles. And he beholds the form of, of the Lord. God is clarifying the importance of listening to true prophet of God that wields his word, right? Even when that comes to them through a prophet, therefore indirectly. It's trustworthy, it's good, it's it's reliable. 
But he adds this extra emphasis on Moses being unique. Moses is beloved and faithful, and so God spoke to Moses mouth to mouth, face to face, not through a dream or a vision or in an indirect way. Moses got to behold, to look intently at the form of the Lord. God's point in this was to stress the role that Moses played and therefore why he should be trusted and listened to. Because God was face to face with him. Because God had a more intimate relationship and form of communication with him. This is Paul's emphasis as well in 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is spirit. We who are made alive in, by the Spirit of God can behold God's glory in a way that we never could when we were dead in sin. We sang about it this morning. That song sung from a saved person is way different than the words coming out of an unsaved person's mouth. Because we actually do behold the glory of the Lord and the sanctification of the Spirit at work in us grows that evermore. Every day, progressively growing in our beholding of His glory. Tra- being transformed in sanctification into Christ-likeness. The same glorious image from one degree to another. And in this, oh, how we want to behold face-to-face the Lord. Church, one day we will. Do you remember John's emphasis in his first letter, 1 John 3, 2? Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. Jesus said in His Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 8, Blessed is the pure in heart, for they see God. Glory is coming, church. We shall see Him in all of His glory, uninhibited. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. For I know in part, now, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Amen? Yes? Yes, and yes. Yes. Or as Paul says in his second letter to the Corinthians, for now we walk by faith, not by sight. Oh, what, it will, what a day it will be. We sang about it earlier. When we walk by sight. To see Him, and love Him, and worship Him, uninhibited by our flesh, what a day it will be. Hear Peter's words in 1 Peter 1, 8 and 9. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. In the new heavens and the new earth, we shall be with Christ and see Him. Praise God. Oh, how we long to be with Him in glory. John Stott said, It is enough for us to know 
that on the last day and through eternity we shall be both with Christ and like Christ for the fuller revelation of what we are going to be we are content to wait this makes the the phrase, the term, the saying worth the wait child's play Amen. Isaiah 25, 9. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. And we have waited for him. That he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. When John says he wishes he could see his beloved blood-bought family face-to-face. The most important thing we need to see in this is the love and affection it reveals that John has for them. And in all the gospel application, it's a good reminder to our souls of that face-to-face seeing of our Lord. But there's a helpful, practical application for the here and now in the example that John sets forth in his longing. Right? It's why we're not content to sit at home and watch the feed. I'm sad for Christians who think that somehow they found a new way to do church. I'm so sad for them. Maybe even in our very scrutinized way that we share the feed with those who are sick or having to travel, you maybe are listening today, watching today. And have not been here in a while. You need to be here. You need to see these people face to face. Because it is a special part of our journey together. This is a helpful reminder for us, the church, to recall what John has said in his first letter and in his second again and again and again and again. That we are to love one another. This is not simply something we get to skip or omit. We don't get to play light with it. Oh, I know. I'll get to it. We must love one another. And that love is not just ethereal. It's, it's not just mental. It's practical. It's real. You don't get to say it and not mean it and do nothing with it. You got to do it all. Or it's bogus. Paul agrees, Romans 12.10, Let love with one another, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Just before this, he says, let love be without hypocrisy. Let it be genuine. Outdo one another in showing honor. Am I loving this person? You're trying to evaluate. Are you outdoing them in showing them honor? If not, then no. Is there brotherly affection? Other ways we see the same kind of depth. 1 Peter 1.22 Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere, a genuine, a not hypocritical love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. Church, when we are not loving one another, there is a fundamental problem. 
revealed will of God according to his word for his children is not to just do good things or say nice things in passing. Okay? We don't do it like the world does it. Hear me say this with all love and seriousness this morning. It is not enough just to pray for each other and speak decently of each other. Check the box. God's will for us is more. Christ at work in us will equal love for each other with brotherly affection. We will open our hearts to one another. We will feel for each other a kind of tender affection and longing that would naturally be expressed with a holy kiss of love, Scripture says. And yet, all that clarity, some of you, if you're being being very genuine in the moment, honest with yourself, you're thinking, what if I don't feel that kind of tender affection towards a certain brother or sister in Christ? This is real. If you're not struggling with this at the moment, you likely will be at another time. Maybe they have genuinely hurt you or let you down. Their flesh got the best of them and it was hard. They didn't live up to your expectations for them. If this is you, let me remind you of a few critical ways to fight this and honor the Lord in this. Number one, pray for the Holy Spirit's power to go to work. Not just that you would pull up your bootstraps and just do what you're being told to do, but earnestly praying to God, the Holy Spirit would move on your heart and work the miracle that neither you or I can work on our own. Talking about supernatural living here. We are dependent, Christian, on God. Pray that God would change your heart towards your adopted brother or sister. That He would genuinely create a true Christ-powered affection in you for them. No matter how different they are from you, no matter how much they might be struggling in different ways, or choose to do life different than you, the Spirit is able to do a mighty work in your heart. So we must pray. Number two, focus on the heavenly identity of your sibling. This is really important to keep your eyes focused on the heavenly identity of your brother or sister and not your earthly frustration of your flesh that plagues your relationship. Where's your focus? In our flesh, we tend to focus almost exclusively on the ways that we've been disappointed. And we meditate, and we stew, and we return to it again and again. But that's going to defeat you every time. I love this quote. I've shared it with you before from Pastor John Piper. He says, focus on the reality of God's fatherhood for you both. When you think about a Christian that it's hard to feel affection and love for this way, say to yourself, God is... His Father. God is her Father. God is my Father. We have the same Father. Jesus is her Savior and my Savior. The same blood that bought her bought me. The same Holy Spirit that indwells her indwells me. The same love that flows 
from God towards her or him flows towards me. She's my sister. He's my brother. Not just now, but forever. More than your blood brother or sister, which is just for now. We will live forever in the same family. We will live forever together in joy and ecstasy in the presence of our Father in the new earth. This is why we cannot just say, okay, forget this church. I've got problems with a couple people here. Let me go find another church. Okay. You're going to bunk with that brother or sister forever. You can't get away from them. Do you realize that? This is our flesh at work when we leave hurts and burdens undealt with. And we don't press through them to honor the Lord. We don't die to self. Preach to yourself these things. Jesus says you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. There's freedom that you can find only in Him for many of our defective emotions. Don't keep feeding your defective emotions with mere earthly thoughts and reasoning. How you were wronged, how you were let down. You must put forgiveness to work and trust that God knows the details of what happened and He is way better at you than justice. He's way better at you than wrath. And His justice, His wrath, will be perfectly met for whatever sin. He will settle that account perfectly. It's not your worry. It's not your concern. Your concern is forgiveness and love for your sibling in Christ. We need to always set our minds on the great realities that make us blood-bought family, that make us one in Christ. The best time that term that we love so much, blood-bought family, really means something is not when we're all here and we're all good. Jesus. It's when it's really hard between you and someone else. That's when that term carries the greatest weight. Finally, remember Christian love is a growing thing. Christian love is not an all or nothing thing. It's a growing thing. 2 Thessalonians 1.3, Paul commends the Christians, We ought to always give thanks to our God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Love is a growing thing. So you may feel some affection towards a fellow believer, but then also wrestle with some negative emotions. That doesn't mean you're not a Christian. It means you're at war with your flesh and you're trying to be led by the Spirit. So keep on, weary soldier, and know that God will refine you and press you into Him. And if you belong to Him, you will overcome the flesh and you will do what honors God. You'll put to work His power to forgive and not hold grudges. In the same way that you will need so many others, look at me real quick, everyone, you will need so many others to do that for you. <laughs> right? 
just as it has been already done for you. Keep seeking and abiding in Christ and you will grow in selfless love for others and especially those who are hard to love. Paul prays this way, 1 Thessalonians 3.12, And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. The evidence of our redemption, of our transformation in Christ, is our love. The love of God will be at work in and through His people. May it be so in us all. Look with me in the next part of verse 12. Read the whole verse. Though I have much to write to you and would rather not use paper and ink, instead I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. John spoke of complete joy in his first letter, 1 John 1.4, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Church, the, trust, the, the truth is God wants us to be so joyful in Him. doesn't want us just to be happy. The world's selling happiness. You can have it. Happiness is fleeting. Circumstantial. It's too small. He wants us to know true and lasting joy. John wants this for his brethren in Christ. Listen to how, he's, how Jesus speaks of complete joy. John 16, 20-24, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman's giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for the joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Jesus is saying, you must remain steadfast and walk in the living hope that you have in Christ alone because your sorrow will turn into joy. Your joy will be full, complete. In Christ alone can we know complete joy. This is the truth that picks us up when we are in the pit of despair. When our life is crumbling, when you're on the third leg of a really tough season, your body is not working right. Your mind is struggling. Your loved ones are abandoning you. Your boss is firing you unjustly. Your kids are running in the wrong direction. Church, as we experience hard things in this life, it is always on the foundation of our joy in Christ. This is because our joy in Christ is not circumstantial. It's grounded in who you are in Him and what you have in Him that cannot be taken away. This is how Paul is able to honestly, genuinely say that he is sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. 2 Corinthians 6.10 
Did you notice that Jesus said, no one will take your joy from you? Not only will your sorrow turn into joy, but no one is able to take your joy from us. Why? Because true joy is established in God. It's held by Him. It's not happiness that's fleeting and momentary and dependent on our circumstances. It's joy. It's joy in God. It's held by His power. The highest power is God. He's the one who secures our eternity and our eternal joy. Jeremiah 32, 17. Ah, sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Matthew 19, 26. Jesus looked at them. What is impossible with man? This is impossible. With God, all things are possible. Church, we need to not see our security for eternity as divine walls of protection as in something so small as just the heavenly city. It is so much bigger than that. It is active. It is always present. It is the power of God by whom no one can break in. No one can take away your greatest joy, the joy you have in Christ. This is a big part of our testimony. This is why some of us will go through really hard, long-standing suffering and loss. So that in this short life compared to eternity, your joy that is full in Christ may be seen despite your circumstances. So when we pray, Lord, use my life for you, we need to be careful not to then pray a little later when we're really struggling to go, really, Lord, this? When he's using it. Psalm 16, 11. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. It is to this ultimate end that he who was from the beginning, who appeared in time, who lived without sin, and died for many who are nothing but guilty in sin, rose again to conquer the grave as the first among all those whom he would save, that we would have reconciliation and fellowship with one another that would be based in the fellowship of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, in which we will experience now and forever the fullness of joy. And so right there is, I think, the unique kicker to how John is speaking here regarding the love and fellowship of the saints related to the completeness of their joy. Watch this with me. This is key. 1 John 1.4, we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. And now, John, 2 John 12, though I have much to write you, I'd rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face 
so that our joy may be complete. It is true that our joy is not lacking anything in Christ. It's not dependent on something circumstantial. Scripture is clear to teach that. Christ is enough. We have complete joy in Him. We need nothing else to complete our joy. So, okay, if that's true, that means what He's not saying here to His beloved is what completes their joy is that they need to have this kind of fellowship. As somehow it's incomplete without it. That's not what he's saying here. Be careful not to read it that way. What he is emphasizing here is that our fellowship in the body of Christ, our love for one another, our fellowship with one another, is a part of the complete joy that we have in Christ. It is a part of the eternal blessings we're given in Christ. It is a part of the joy that we have in Him that we are no longer orphans, no longer separated in our sin, but we are reconciled to Him and to each other. A reality that we must live out to have a good gospel testimony or we, we pollute it. We mess with it. He's being pastoral here. John's point in 1 John 1, and I think much of his point here again in the end of the second letter, as he just mentioned his deep love and affection for his beloved, longing to be with them face to face. There's a fellowship here. Consider with me the verse just before 1 John 1, 4. 1 John 1, 3, That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. They're linked, church. They're linked. What is fellowship? The Greek word koinonia. It's a unique thing. It's a special bond. An extra special connection. It's a partnership. It's more than a casual friendship, work relationship, neighbor relationship. It's another level of connection. Church, the simple fact is you cannot have fellowship with those who are lost in the world like you do with those who are in Christ. You share a bond in Christ that you do not have with those in the world. They simply do not understand our spiritual convictions and God-given priorities. Therefore, true fellowship, true fellowship is to be devoted to the family of God and not to those in the world. We need to prioritize our partnerships, our deepest relationships with those who belong to Christ. You cannot have true fellowship with a non-believer. You can have a special bond, a special relating, an enjoyment of life, but you cannot have gospel fellowship. Why? Because they do not know the love of God or the reconciliation to the body of Christ. This is why God is so serious to say that we should not yoke ourselves to unbelievers. Choose that path. It would be so hard. Yeah, by God's sovereignty, does He save some who are already in an uh, or save some thereby creating like in a marriage unequally yoked relationship. That's true, but that's the work of the Lord. Our, our choice of that is forbidden. 
We are to enjoy our fellowship with one another. It's a special part of what makes our joy complete in Christ. That's the point. Disciples, family, we must never lose sight of the grand and game-changing reality that life in Christ is not just salvation, as huge as that is. It is also reunification and reconciliation of that which is utterly broken in sin. Fellowship with God and with each other. Community, family, true and lasting belonging. This is one of the sweetest riches we have in Christ. When we have every spiritual blessing, this is one of them. And I pray you see the blessing it is to be the church. Far more than you think of the benefits of just coming to church. A shift that most of you at some point made in your Christian journey, some of you are in the middle of right now. Wow, how different it is. For so long we have come to church and we are learning what it is to truly be the church. When you finally taste the difference, it's a whole new world and it is a joy to live out our faith together. Amen? I have much to write to you. We'd rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. And then John concludes with love and fellowship language and his sign off. The children of your elect sister greet you. Church, there is a camaraderie we have in Christ and his eternal family that is so special. It is so important we don't miss it in our flesh or throw it away. We need to treasure it. We need to fight for it. We need to steward it well. There's no time for fleshly grudges or held on to hurts. There's no time to play victim, to be me-centered in our one another. This is only the work of the flesh, and the enemy that keeps us so focused on how we're wrong, cheated, mistreated. It's the ways, it's the playbook of the old man. Christian, we are new in Christ and becoming sanctified more and more every day. The time is now for true and fervent love and fellowship and camaraderie. Let's put off the ways of the flesh and put on Christ and His great forgiveness and love for one another. This is where we must major. Christian, die to yourself. Live to Christ. See with me, this is a huge part of our complete joy in Christ. Christian life is not just you and Jesus or you and God's Word. It is you and God's people also. Growing, serving, discipling, modeling unity to a lost world. Unity that is so surprising to them when they see how different we are. When they are quick to your ear to go, forget that person. Bounce. While we are not alike, many of us. And therefore might not be super buddy-buddy skipping in harmony down the road. We have a deep and awesome unity in Christ. And that testimony is a big reason why God gave us today. 
And why, as we get ready to prepare for the Lord's Supper, you don't get to skip on this and say, oh, I'll figure it out later. Nope. I gave you today. I ask you, are you enjoying complete joy in that you are enjoying Christ and you are enjoying life in Christ's body? Not because everyone around you is doing it all the way you want them to do it. Because we are practicing the things He calls us to do even when we are missing each other. It's our call. It's our command. It's our purpose. So I am... This is why I'm so passionate about you making every effort to overlook offenses, to give the benefit of the doubt, to realize not everything is going to be horizontally harmonious with everyone, but still to have deep, genuine love, forgiveness, and unity in Christ together. This is the heart of John for his blood-bought brothers and sisters as he signs off. May it be our heart for one another today. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for your word. We thank you for Second John. We thank you that John missed out on some special time together in your providence so this letter would be written and we would be blessed. May we be obedient to your word and applying these things truly and fully this day. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Before we sing, I want to help us prepare for our united testimony in the Lord's Supper this morning. Four tables around the room. On them is pieces of freshly baked unleavened bread. Thank you, ladies, who faithfully serve us in preparing that. And uh, authentic and good wine. Pressed. No, it, we just bought it. <laughs> Look with me at 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen through 29. Paul says, in the following instructions, I do not commend you. Because when you came together, it's not for the better, it's for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. He says, when you come together as a church, I hear there are divisions among you. Church, I will build on everything I just said and just simply say this cannot be. It goes against the very fundamental testimony of what Christ has accomplished on our behalf on the cross to bring what is condemned unto victory, to bring what is separated unto unity. Later in verse 27 through 29, he says, whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, he will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. 
For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. We don't get to cherry pick the things that the cross did for us, celebrate those, and leave the rest. We either have died to self and we belong to him or not. God is clear that we are to prioritize our overlooking of offenses, our forgiving of one another, our getting right with a brother or sister so that there's no divisions among us. Do not do this. To not do this is to lie at the Lord's Supper. It's to present a united front when there isn't one. to make a mockery of what God has done through Christ our Lord. You say, Pastor, this feels weighty. Yep. It's meant to. Because we need to take it more serious than we have. I don't care how comfortable you are with how you've done it for a long time. God's word is clear. If we belong to him, let's honor him. Amen? The Lord's Supper is not just about you. It's about us and all that Christ has done to establish a new covenant with all of his blood-bought people, the church, his bride. Paul says in verse 23 through 26, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. What a joy it is to be his. If you belong to Christ, Church, this is for you. But there are way, there's ways we are to do this. And if the Lord is using today to have you do some business that you've not done, praise the Lord. Let's do that and count that as good and honorable and rejoice. Even if it's hard, even if it gets worse before it gets better, we will be faithful to trust in the Lord in these things and obey Him. Church, let us be so serious about this thing we celebrate, Christ's death in our place, the testimony that we make together here today. If you are not a part of the church, you are not saved, a part of the universal church, not just this local church, but you are not saved, you've not died yourself to trust your life to Jesus, then this is not for you to participate in, it's for you to witness and see the work of Christ in our place, see the gospel. Our deep prayer is you too would be saved. You would repent and believe. May it be so. Pray with me, church. We'll sing, we'll do business, and we'll prepare to go. Lord, we thank you for this day, this time, this, this great conclusion to this letter that even myself were so tempted to be flippant and just skip over. And yet there's a depth here, as your word always has. And not one word is wasted. It's all very perfectly purposeful by you, the sovereign God. So we rejoice in that today. 
Rejoice in the timing of this text to fall in this time of our life. We pray, I pray, Lord, it just goes to work. I'm excited about what you're doing in the lives of many here. How you are binding us and growing us and maturing us. I'm excited to see what you have in store for us as we celebrate, as we testify of Jesus' death on the cross in our place, the unity, the communion that that brings us, may it honor you. We love you. We submit ourselves to you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.